Well, let's continue to worship the Lord this morning. We're going to do a little mini-series talking about Jesus' love and what it means to display to the world that we're his disciples by loving as he loves. And there's some depth here that I, that I want to go in, so we're going to go somewhere this morning I think is it's really cool. I think the Lord has a word for, for us, and it's going to be good. How many of you guys at times find it challenging to love people? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, you too. Yeah. Yeah. How many of you guys have found it challenging to love me? Uh, oh, there we go. <laughs> Everyone's hands should go up for that as well. You know, sometimes we talk about Jesus' love, and we can just kind of skirt over it because we use it as a, a general term because, I mean, his love covers all things. There's this idea, it's this big, it's this, this big word. It's this big blessing. But there's these details of his love that we want to discuss because he commands us, hey, love as I love. So watch me. Pay attention to how I love so that you know how to love your brother and sister. So that you know how to respond to the world. Pay attention. Because I'm not just calling you to love up to your definition or your standard of love. I'm calling you to love as I love. And how many of you guys know that's a high calling? How many of you have experienced his high love for us? This is the measure, yeah. This is the measure to which we have been called. So we're going to explore that this week and next week. And we're starting here. This is kind of our theme verse in John. This is John 13, 34 and 35. He says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. If you have love for one another. We have, uh, sorry, we have mixed relationships with labels, don't we? Mixed relationships. Sometimes we love labels. We actually chase them. I want people to know me as this person. I want them to see me as this. And sometimes we hate labels. Like, don't put that label on me. That is not the label I want, even though I just acted that way. That is not who I am. You know, the quickest way, uh, the quickest way to offend or flatter is to label, right? With one word, I can offend or flatter. We have a mixed relationship with labels. Right now, anyone that knows you, knows you for something. They know you for something. From a baby, they know you for something, right? As soon as someone's born, we actually try to start labeling them. Oh, they are born with a full head of hair. Oh, and then we start making these connections to them. And it's true. Right now, there's labels abound of all of you guys. Everyone knows you, and there's these just labels that they've attached to you. There are connections in their mind that spring to life. When I say Michael Kelly, everyone, they're just spring to life, these, these connection points that you have about them. And the opposite works as well. I can name anyone you know, and then you're like, okay, you're thinking of the things you know them for, their abilities, their, their characteristics, the relationship you have with them. 
But this happens because these qualities, these characteristics, these abilities that they have, have been lived out in front of you in some form. Whether intentionally or unintentionally, you have seen them do these things, right? I've seen you guys act and live out certain ways. I've seen the way you've loved people. They're, it springs to life when someone says, hey, there's a, just this week, what, what was it, yesterday or Friday? Uh, it was Friday night, there was a need. A parent called me and said, hey, my son, my son needs help with a book report. I had someone lined up to help and they dropped out. They said, do you know anyone that could? And I instantly thought, not me. That's not a label people put on me to help with book reports. But then I was like, oh, this is perfect. I thought of Michael Cares back there. Said, I know a guy. The label just sprung to life. Called him, he said, more than willing. And we got that taken care of. It was a, it, the, this connection, because I've seen Mike one live out his willingness to love people in front of me. But then I also know he's a smart guy. Way smarter than I am. It's lived out. And the person of Jesus Christ is someone that we want to be known for. Correct? This is someone we want to be known for as we live out his love. This is who we want to be known for. I want to be known for my relationship to Jesus Christ. I want to be known as the guy that follows him. I want to be known as the guy who puts his faith in him. Who fully trusts his life and future and everything in Jesus. I want to be known as the guy who shares the love of Christ. This is, this is a label that I desire. I want this. I want people to know you are a disciple of Jesus. And Jesus tells us how they know this. The only way to achieve that connection point, to get that label on your life, is for you to love as he loves. Last week, we had baptism, and several people declared, I am a follower of Jesus. And they declared it to the world. You want to know how they keep declaring it? By loving. And the world hears it loud and clear, sees it loud and clear. This is what Jesus says. So we're going to explore what it looks like to love like Christ, to be known as his disciples by our love for one another. And there's a lot of depth in these couple verses. And the way that I'm going to unpack this John 13 verse is by going to another verse. And this week and next week, we're going to go to a couple different verses to unpack it. Um, but to follow Jesus is to live like Jesus. And to live like Jesus is to love like Jesus. The hardest moments to love like Jesus are when someone has hurt us, wronged us, caused some sort of pain in our life. This is, these are the hardest moments. If you come out and in some way attack me, it's the moment that I am expected to have and I'm going to have the hardest time responding in love. It's because, well, our flesh does not like that. If there's anything that our flesh knows, it's when someone attacks, you attack. Don't, have, don't ever let someone attack you without re retaliating. That's not, way the G that's not the way that Jesus loves. It's fairly simple to love others when they love us. You give me a gift, oh, now I want to give you a gift. This is easy. It's easy to return a kind gesture with a kind gesture. But challenge or challenges arise when we're mistreated, wronged, when we're crossed, when 
when people don't love us. But in these hard moments are the greatest opportunities to love like Christ by forgiving. By forgiving. In the same way that he forgave us. So we're going to talk about forgiveness this morning. Because forgiveness is how we love when we are hurt. Forgiveness is how we love when we are hurt. When I'm wronged, the response in love is forgiveness. When someone attacks me, the loving response is always forgiveness. And for the one who does wrong, repentance is how we respond to that love. If I have wronged someone and then they come back with forgiveness, well, the purpose of that is that I repent. And we're going to discuss that too. Jesus talks about both of these things, forgiveness and repentance, in this same dialogue he has with his disciples. Um, and we can grasp from this that on the other side, I'm going to give away the end, okay? I'm just giving away the end right now. What we can grasp is that on the other side of forgiveness and on the other side of repentance are the healing, the redemption, uh, and the, and, and the restor- restoration of relationship. Healing, redemption, restoration, those are on the other side of forgiveness and repentance. And we're going to break that down. Because we need to understand this, that what your life needs... What your life needs is the gospel. What your life needs is the person of Jesus Christ. This is what your life needs. It's him alone. And unforgiveness and unrepentance keep us from what we need. They keep us. They hold at bay the person of Jesus Christ. They hold at bay the gospel because we don't receive it in those moments. This is what unforgiveness and unrepentance do. So let's break it down. We're going to Matthew, Matthew 18. I feel like I always have to say it. If you want to interject, just interject. But if you don't, I'm not stopping. I just, I just keep going. So throw a hand up, get my attention. I don't mind. It's just the way that I flow is I, I'll just keep going. So let's read this. If another believer sins against you, Go privately and point out the offense. If the other person listens and confesses it, you have won that person back. But if you are unsuccessful, take one or two with you and go back again so that everything you say may be confirmed by two or three witnesses. And if the person still refuses to listen, take your case to the church. If he or she won't accept the church's decision, Treat that person as a pagan or a corrupt tax collector. This is Jesus' guidance on how to handle wrong and how to handle sin in the church. Something happens, this is how you handle it. There's two things I love here. One is that he expects it to happen. It's going to happen. You're going to hurt me, I'm going to hurt you, and we may not even know we did it to each other. It's just going to happen. So he gives us guidance on how to handle it. What do we do when wrong is committed in the fellowship that is supposed to be known for love? The response is, well, you love. And this is here. All he's saying here is this is how you love in the midst of wrong. 
This is how you love in the midst of wrong. What we're trying to do when a wrong has been committed is we're attempting to lead brother or sister to repentance. Repentance that results in restoration of the person to right standing before God and among brothers and sisters. So this is Jesus' advice. When someone's wronged you, love them. When you've been hurt, respond in love. And this is how you do it. We are to take part in someone's restorative process by lovingly leading them to repentance. Saying, you've been wronged, now here's what you do. You have an opportunity to take part in their restoration that I have planned for their life. You get to now come alongside them and lead them to repentance. And this is an act of love. To lead someone to restoration, to lead someone to healing, to lead someone to redemption, that is love. How's the world handle wrong? The world does not care about your restoration, does not care about your, your, your healing. What the world wants is the world wants, okay, you've done me wrong, great. Now I'm going to use that as a leverage point. Now, okay, maybe we're going to be on right terms, but I'm always going to use it to kind of press you down under me. I'm going to use it to keep myself above you. I'm not going to love you in these moments. No, I'm going to get what I think is due. I'm going to hold the debt against you as long as I can so that I can gain in this moment. Not you gain, I gain. But the way Jesus lays it out is when wrong is committed, the world responds by saying, oh, now I as the victim, I am going to get what I am due. But Jesus says, no, that's not how it's going to happen. Because you need to see clearly what just happened. What just happened is, is a relationship was broken. Not just between you and that person, but between that person and me, God. And so now your job is to take them by the hand and lead them to repentance, to restoration. Lead them to the place that, yeah, they don't deserve, but I am God who is unfailing, limitless love, and this is what I do. So we love them by leading them to repentance. Because this is what Jesus does for us. All throughout Scripture, this is the way God displays His love for people. Not just leaving humanity to suffer in sin, but approaching them and pointing to repentance. We see this with Sodom and Gomorrah. We see this with Nineveh. Two very different results happened. But the same thing. Walked in and said, okay, there is a chance for repentance. Let's see if they're going to take it. One did, one did not. All throughout Scripture, God is always approaching His people with the opportunity to come back, with the opportunity to heal and to be restored. Because the goal is that restoration and healing and forgiveness take place in the face of wrong being done. This only happens where Jesus reigns. Because this is the kind of love that Jesus loves with. In the face of wrong, 
restoration and healing would take place. And the goal is, and he says it in, in this Matthew verse, you have won that person back. This is the win for us as believers. This is the win for us. You have won that person back. Someone comes and hurts you. There's a wrong done. Well, what is the goal here? The goal is that person comes back into right standing with the Lord and right standing among brothers and sisters. This is the goal. Now, as a youth pastor, I love creating, I love creating youth group games. It's, I, I think it, it is a requirement to be a youth pastor, I think. I don't know if it's written anywhere, um, but it's just been that way for years and years and decades and decades. You want to be a youth pastor, you have to be good at creating games, okay? Not just running games, creating games. And I love creating games from scratch. It's great. And sometimes my students approach me and they're like, is this game even going to work? Like, we're hearing this. This sounds like, what is going on? I'm like, I've run dozens of simulations in my head. It's going to be fine. Don't, wor- don't worry about it. Yeah. Sometimes they get the game and sometimes they don't. They'll do something and they'll be all excited. And I'll be like, hey, that wasn't the way you win. I understand you did something cool and epic or whatever, but that's not the way you win. And so then I have to explain, this is how you win. And then they go after the goals because they ultimately want to win. And and in the church, amongst believers, the way we win is by loving in forgiveness, by lead and leading another to repentance. The win isn't that when I'm hurt, now I get to go tell everyone how much I've been hurt. The win isn't that now that I'm hurt, I now get to hold that against somebody. The win is when that person has been led back into right standing with Lord, with, with God and brothers and sisters. This is the win. This is the goal for us. And we see this here in this verse. It's important to understand the end game and what counts as a win. What the goal of the situation is. Not to prove ourselves right and them wrong. The goal isn't to gather as many people on my side. It's not to ensure they undergo proper and sufficient punishment either. It's not to ensure I feel better about myself by their punishment. The goal is that they would come to repentance. The goal is that they would stand before the Lord and receive His forgiveness. The goal is that true healing would take place. That's the goal, amen? That's the goal. To win a brother or sister back by leading them to repentance. Yes, go for it. Yeah, so the, the question is, he's, he, it seems here that he's addressing only believers. But he actually, right at the end, and you're jumping ahead, but I'm going to go there now. He actually does address us, how do we treat the non-believers too? Because he says, treat them like a pagan or a tax collector. And well, the way that we know how to treat pagans and tax collectors is we just look at the person who's telling us to treat them this way. And how did Jesus treat the pagans and tax collectors? We did the same thing. He led them in repentance. He declared repentance. He loved them. So... It's not that it's any different. 
It's that, well, there is a difference to someone when they're in right standing with the Lord and when they're not in right standing with the Lord. And so when I see you and I, and I, I see you as someone who is in right standing with the Lord, that tells me that my interactions with you can be, can be a little different. It's going to be loving across the board, but it's going to be a little different. Now, if you're someone that's not in right standing with the Lord, my conversations are always going to kind of drive toward, hey, how do we get you to the gospel? How do we get you to Jesus? How do I love you in such a way that displays his glory because you're not currently standing in his glory? Does that make sense? Does that make sense, everyone? Is there anything else I can add to that? Michael, can you check me on that? Is that correct? I'm pretty sure that's correct. So it's not that, the, it, it's that there is a difference in God's eyes even when he looks at us and he sees there is my son and daughter in correct standing with me and there is my son and daughter not in correct standing with me. And the way God approaches those things is, is even different because he's like, I want you in right standing with me. The person that's not in right, that is in right standing, you say, well, my goal for you is, is I still want you to mature. I want you to grow. I want you to, I want you to walk in the work that I prepared for you and all of this stuff. So it's, it's more like, okay, I don't know if this is correct, but it's like you're a level back. You should be at level three. You're at level one or whatever. And I, I hope that explains it. Yeah. So the point of even bringing up the wrong is repentance. Jesus said, the only reason you should, ever, you should approach the person and say, hey, there's been a wrong done, is because you want to lead them to repentance. That's the reason. He starts from there. What if they refuse and then continue? Then what? Treat them like pagan or, ta- or, or, or tax collector. And to understand what Jesus means by this, you just have to ask, how did Jesus treat these people? And we know how Jesus treated these people. He never stopped loving them. He never stopped pursuing them with truth and seeing them as people in darkness in need of the gospel. Amen? The woman at the well well is a perfect example. Sees them and says, I know you're in darkness. So what am I going to do? I'm going to do what is needed to lead you to the truth, to lead you to life, to lead you to truth, to lead you to the gospel. And then it's in their hands, right? They have to make the decision. But this is the goal, that they would come to know that they would come in correct standing before the Lord by repentance. By repentance. Because love seeks healing for all parties. This also means that love seeks or desires repentance for all. Because the desire for the world to repent is actually a loving response to the current condition of the world. That's what it is. It's a loving response to the current condition of the world, that I want the world to come to repentance. You cannot be in right standing before the Lord without repentance. You cannot. And God gives us ample opportunity to repent, and he will get your attention. The verse that Billy's referring to that's on the screen, 2 Peter uh, 3.9, the Lord isn't really being slow about his promises. As some people think, no, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. Everyone to repent. 
And this verse gives us another clue into why. Because unrepentance equals destruction. Repentance equals life. The road to life is through repentance. But the person that does not go through repentance will only find destruction. This is why it is a loving response to want repentance for someone because I want life for that person. And desiring life for a person is, a, is loving them from a correct position. It seeks life for another. In our Matthew passage, at the same group uh, that the group of people who are hurt and wronged are being addressed, so is the one who has done the wrong. So is the one who has done the wrong, saying, you know what I want? I want you back in right standing. See, in, in Matthew, he's also, speaking, he's also speaking to the one who has done the wrong, saying, hey, I want you back. I want you back in right standing. This isn't the end. Because redemption, forgiveness, and healing are available to you. So much so that I am directing all of my followers that they would be, that they would be, guide, that they would be guides to repentance because it's available. It's there for you. You're being guided to repent. This is what we mean by repentance. We mean that from the heart, you own the reality of your wrongdoing as yours, understanding and recognizing that it is wrong, that it is sin, recognizing your need for forgiveness from God and asking that forgiveness and committing before God to turn away from your old ways and to follow his way. This is repentance. The recognition of my wrong as sin and my need of forgiveness from God first and primarily and then committing to turn from that wrong having received his forgiveness. This is the change of heart and mind resulting in action. Because It's not just said, it's lived out. Repentance is lived out. It's more than a singular moment in your life. This is what repentance is. I make my initial, my initial plea of repentance and ask for forgiveness and the change of heart happens. And then from that moment on, Every action in my life now reflects that original point of repentance. That's repentance. The way I live my life lines up with my original commitment to repentance. And this is in part why repentance is actually a, a, an, a, a common part of, a, it's a routine uh, part of the Christian life. Because we made a point of repentance, and sometimes we kind of skirt from that. The Lord says, ah, you see what you did there? So we're like, oh yeah, I did not line up with my original point. Lord, I again am asking you, and I'm committing my life back on track. This is what it is to love like Christ so that the world will know we are his disciples. Because from the outside looking in, this looks absolutely crazy. This looks crazy. This kind of astonishing love for one another. Where someone comes up, wait a second, you've been wronged. Yes, I've been wronged. You're not going to hold it against that person. No, I'm not going to hold it against that person. What is wrong with you? 
well, what is wrong with me is that I have committed so much wrong and it has been forgiven me. So how could I not forgive? So how could I not forgive? You're like, what do you mean you've been forgiven? And you see how it just keeps pointing to Jesus. Yeah, that's exactly right. Exactly right. That's why it comes up. It's like this. There's, there's two things I'll say to that. Um, one, uh, you know, God will get our attention when it comes to repentance. He will. And he'll, I believe what actually happens is he, he escalates it as needed. He'll continue escalating as needed. That's why he said, first, you go in private. In private. Don't even make it a public thing. Go in private. This is actually an act of love for that person that no one else know about it except you two. And then escalate it. And it gets, because, why is this an act of love? Why is, it un, why is it not totally necessary that everyone know? Because my repentance is actually between me and God. It's between me and God. I've committed the wrong against you. But the person that I need to see first is God. And by me forgiving you, I'm actually recognizing that. I'm recognizing that you don't necessarily owe me anything. In fact, I'm forgiving you, so you don't. But what I do recognize is that there is still a sever between you and God. It's between you and God first. So Billy's saying, yeah, it's, it's a love as individuals, and then it's a love between us and God. There's kind of a, a dual thing going on. You can kind of say that like God acts as a mediator in the midst of a wrong in a relationship relationship. What happens is he's saying, he's telling you forgive and he's telling me repent or whatever way it goes, you know. Telling you forgive and to me repent. And your job is to faithfully obey him in that and my job is to faithfully obey him in that. And you're wondering, what about the relationship between me and this person? Because right now it's just between us individuals to God. He says, I'm going to take care of that. I'm going to take care of that because you on your own actually have no ability to actually mend a relationship apart from my love because restoration, healing, and redemption are all found in the loving nature of Christ Jesus. Amen? So then here's what happens. Let's say that you forgive me. God is then going to direct you into the proper response to the relationship. Maybe I'm not unrepentant. Doesn't Jesus here in Matthew give you direction on how to respond to that unrepentance? Yeah, he does. Is the relationship different? Yeah, but you're in right standing with the Lord, and you're correctly pursuing that relationship in, in, the, right, in the right way. Now, me, now, let's say I do repent. What's going to happen? Well, the Lord is going to, I believe that actually what happens, the Lord confirms in the body by the Holy Spirit that that repentance is genuine. So what happens is the Lord is mediating to you, hey, his repentance is real. And the Lord is mediating to me, hey, that forgiveness that you received is real. Because primary, what actually happens first, the primary level is between you and God and me and God. And then he steps in the middle between us. There's this kind of like cool, like triangular exchange that's happening. We need God in the midst of our relationships. We need God in the midst of our relationships. Anybody have any other clearer way of explaining that? She asked is, what about the boundaries with people that have wronged us? Because there are wide variances of how we've been wronged, right? And it could be like, oh, that person looked at me wrong. Or, yeah, it could be that person looked at me wrong. Or that person in some way brutally abused me. You know, how do we do that? Or danger or, or, danger or something like that. So there is a correct way. We're not saying eliminate all those boundaries. So the, the kind of 
asterisk that I'm going to put on this whole thing is this process should happen in community and in discipleship with somebody. If you've, if you've been hurt and you're wondering, man, how do, I, how do I proceed now? I've been hurt. I know that I'm supposed to forgive. What does that actually look like? Well, the Lord has placed brothers and sisters in your life to help, help you who are going to be wise counsel in your life to deal with those things. Because there are going to be hurts where it's like the, the way that you engage that person is going to be different now for the rest of your relationship, for the rest of your, your guys' lives. And I believe what happens is when you come into community with a brother or sister that the Lord has said you can trust, then they're, gonna, they're going to lovingly give you wise counsel by the Holy Spirit how to do those things. This is, this is why community is important. Yeah, and I'm kind of using that as the safeguard to this conversation. Um, what I'm not saying is that you want to... What I'm not saying is that you are responsible for restoring the relationship. What I'm saying is that God is responsible for restoring the relationship, and he tells you how to do that. And I believe there are times where he's going to say, your relationship with this person now is to this limit. I'm taking it somewhere else. And that's completely okay. That's 100% okay. Because the Lord's not, I mean, we want to be safe. We, there are moments where it's like, yeah, there's going to be danger involved. And yeah, so everyone, is everyone clear on that little asterisk I'm putting on this? Seek community in these and how to properly walk through forgiveness, especially if you're dealing with a tough situation. And if someone approaches you um, in love, brother or sister, and says, hey, I see this is happening and you're walking through this, can I give you a little guidance on what a restored relationship may look like? then, yeah, it's not always going to look like hand-holding and, you know, dancing in the daisies and stuff because the goal is that they would be restored before God, before God. That's the goal. So you're going to have responses in your own flesh that are going to need to be dealt with. And I'll just use my own life as an example. I know everyone has examples here of this. But, you know, my relationship with my parents is probably the biggest example in my life. My dad was here last week. I love my dad. And the Lord has actually allowed me to, um, to forgive my parents for kind of the relationship that we had growing up. But now I allow the Lord to dictate to me and guide me in what a correct relationship with my dad looks like. And it looks not like what in my mind looks like a perfect adult relationship with their father looks like. And that's okay. I'm standing in rightness before the Lord in forgiveness, and he's, he is guiding me on what it looks like to love my dad in a correct way. Because I ask, I, I ask the Lord, Lord, how do I love my father? I've forgiven him. All of this past stuff, is, it, it's in the past, and, and, and I want healing for our relationship. What's that look like? And he says, this is how you love in this relationship. This is how you love. And I, and I trust that. And I believe that happens so that, one, we don't have a guilt and shame as far as like, man, maybe should I be doing more? Should, should, am, I, am I correct here? By, by, it feels like we're still at arm's distance. What, what's, what's going on here? The Lord's like, no, it's correct. You don't know what's going on in that person's life. I know what's going on in that person's life because it's not even in their life. It's in their heart, what's going on in their heart. And so I'm guiding you as I know what their heart state is. I'm guiding you in a correct relationship with them. So he can, see, yeah. He can see what I cannot see, and he can see like, hey, if you, Stephen, try to go all gung-ho in this, maybe it's not going to turn out like you think it's not, that it's going to turn out in all of this. Yeah, 
So all of this is trust the Lord with it. Yes. Trust the Lord with it and allow him to be, your, to be your guide in this and he'll guide you correctly. But me, for me, if I've forgiven him, I desire repentance for him. And I'm going to continue, continue loving him. He's going to guide me on how to handle those, those relationships. Is that clear? Good. That's clear? Okay. So let's go on because I have one more chunk that I want to get to. Leading other to repentance requires that we have forgiven them. Leading others to repentance requires that we have forgiven them. And Peter picks up on this because Peter's about to ask a question. Peter picks up on this and he's reading between the lines of what Jesus has said. He said, wait a second, you skipped a chunk, didn't you? You just said, lead them to repentance. But doesn't that mean that I have to forgive them? in order to actually love them by leading them to repentance. He understands what Jesus is actually asking. He knows that if he has led another to repentance, this first requires him to love. It's kind of baked into the, uh, it requires him to love by leading them to repentance. It's kind of baked into the deal, you know? Well, if I'm leading them to repentance, I'm obviously going to try to love them. Okay. So now we're picking up in Matthew 18, 21. 21, verse 22. It says this, Then Peter came to him and asked, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? No, not seven times, Jesus replied, but 70 times seven. 70 times seven. So Peter's asking the obvious question, how, how many times do I have to do this? How many times do I have to for, forgive someone? And, and his seven times is probably a rather generous offer. I mean, if it's in my thinking, I'm thinking, okay, let's see. I, I know this is Jesus here, so it's probably going to be something extravagant. Three times someone hurts me? Okay, that's, that's, that sounds enough in my head, but let's double it and add one because it's Jesus. So seven times, seven times. And, and Jesus says, no, not seven. Not seven because you're called to love like me. Not seven because you are my disciple. Not seven because I have forgiven you way more than that just today, and you don't even realize it. So you, as my disciple, will give endless grace, endless mercy and forgiveness, and it will be startlingly free to the recipient. Re <laughs> Thank you. Recipient. It will be startlingly free to the recipient. Man, that whole sentence is throwing me off. Where they say as the one receiving it, what do you mean it's free? What do you mean it's free? Don't I owe you something? They may even try to, try to repay you for your forgiveness. But then when we say this, what I mean, and this is what Jesus has said to us, what I mean is I love you, so it's free. What I mean is I love you, so it's endless. What I mean is I love you, so I'll keep forgiving you. I also mean I love you, so I'll keep pointing you to the truth. And I'll keep guiding you to repentance. And I'll keep relying on the Lord in the midst of this relationship. If he tells me to forgive you, I'm forgiving you. If he tells me to lead you to repentance, I'm leading you to repentance. If he tells me to treat you like a tax collector or a pagan, I'm not going to take that sentence out of context, but I'm going to look at how Jesus treated the tax collectors and pagans, and I'm going to love you with endless grace and mercy and love. Amen? Amen. 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 And then Jesus goes and further illustrates what he means with a parable. And I am going to read this whole thing. So we got about 11 verses I'm going to read here. 
You've heard this parable before, but it's really important. It says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven can be compared to a king who decided to bring up his, his, all of his accounts up to date with servants who had borrowed money from him. In the process, one of his debtors was brought in who owed him millions of dollars. This kind of reminds me of like when I've used my credit card all month and then I go to look at it because I've been ignoring it. I'm like, whoa, that's a few more digits than I expected. Millions of dollars. And he couldn't pay. So his master ordered that he be sold along with his wife, his children, and everything he owed to pay the debt. But the man fell down before the master and begged him, please be patient with me and I will pay it all. Then the master was filled with pity for him and he released him and forgave his debt. But then the man left the king. He went to a fellow servant who owed him a few thousand dollars and he grabbed him by the throat and demanded instant payment. His fellow servant fell down before him and begged for a little more time. Be patient with me and I will pay it, he pleaded. But his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until a debt could be paid. When some of the other fellow servants saw this, they were very upset. They went to the king and told him everything that had happened. Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant. I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to, to prison to be tortured until he had paid his entire debt. This is a very clear parable, what's going on here, right? This isn't one of those confusing ones. It's you have been forgiven of an enormous debt. So forgive those who have debts against you. Forgive those who have debt with you. As followers of Jesus, we do as he had done. We forgive because, and there's two points, they sound exactly similar, but they're just a little different. It says, one, we forgive because Jesus has forgiven us. He has forgiven us. This is to love like him. To forgive as he forgives is to love like he loves. And because we have been forgiven. It's not just that, Jesus has forgiven some guy, and we're going to follow his example, it's that he has forgiven me. He has forgiven me. To forgive means to recognize the wrong against me, but choosing not to hold the debt against the person, but instead letting go of the wrong and determining to do good to them rather than evil. Determining to do good to them rather than evil. And just like repentance, from the moment that I decide to forgive, every action from that point on reiterates my original point of forgiveness. Now I treat you as forgiven because you're forgiven. And I'm going to continue to do that in the same way that we're forgiven. You know what Jesus doesn't do? He doesn't come and keep reminding me of the crappy person I was, except to say, you once were in darkness, and I have brought you out. He doesn't go and say, you know what, maybe I want to take a small percentage of that forgiveness back because I'm feeling really hurt right now. And, and I, I, I think a little bit of punishment is okay. 
No, no, no. Forgiveness. This parable lays out two reasons why forgiveness is a priority. One, that we may stand in right standing before the Lord. We talked about leading the person who did wrong to right standing before the Lord. But forgiveness puts you in right standing before the Lord. Unforgiveness holds you in an incorrect standing before the Lord in a way where he is against you in that moment because you are not giving what you have received. You are not being a blessing as he has led you to bless. This is pleasing to the king that those who have been forgiven forgive. The picture painted in this parable uh, is a picture of our own life. You and I are the servants with an astonishing amount of debt stacked against us that we would never be able to repay in our lifetime or in many lifetimes to come. And we have been forgiven. Generously, graciously, astoundingly forgiven. In comparison, any that is owed to you is puny. It's like nothing. It's puny. This is what is good in the sight of the Father, that we would be a people who love well by being a people of forgiveness. Not grudge holders, not debt collectors, but forgivers. Amen? Forgivers. And two, Restoration and healing lay on the other side of forgiveness. Your restoration and your healing as the victim lay on the other side of forgiveness. Look at uh, what Paul says in Romans. Romans 12, I'm going to read the first part of verse 14, and then I'm going to read verse 21. Bless those who persecute you. And verse 21, don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good. Unforgiveness allows evil to conquer us. In the midst of being wronged, forgiveness is your act of love. It's a blessing to those who have hurt you. But unforgiveness produces bitterness, resentment, and the like. And you can go to Hebrews 12, 15 for that. It says as much. Those are the consequences that you carry and are affected by. A burden that holds you down. This is unforgiveness. The healing from the wound that you have received from the wrong done against you is on the other side of forgiveness. That wound is not healed in time. It's not healed with closure. It's not healed when the wrong can be taken back. It's not healed when it can be made up for. And here's what I mean by that. Those things on their own do not heal. What heals is you faithfully obeying the Lord in forgiveness and being in right standing with Him and trusting Him to do the healing for you. Because when we're thinking about time, we're thinking, I just need to get far enough away from that wound and it won't hurt as much. When we're thinking about closure, what closure does is closure just says, well, I'm not going to forgive until I feel better about the situation. Maybe it's until I know everything that happened. Maybe it's so I know why you hurt me. Maybe it's so I know the full extent of your actions. Or, or, yeah, or I'm not going to do it until they ask for forgiveness, right? No, that, that's not going to bring about, about healing. What brings about healing is faithful, obedient forgiveness. Because all of these things become excuses not 
to not forgive. All these things become excuses to not forgive. Healing comes from following Christ as he loves. Every circumstance in our life, Jesus is saying, follow me. Every circumstance in our life, Jesus is saying, follow me. Saying, you've been hurt, follow me in this. Act like I would act in this. Love as I would love in this. He doesn't just say, follow me, just that one time when you come to him. He continues to say it in every circumstance. And our response, our answer either draws us closer to him and the life in him or shuns him as we deny him for darkness. So he's saying in every circumstance of your life, there is a way to follow me in this. Follow me. Follow me. That's good. Thank you, Mike. Mike says there's a difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. And I think that's, I think that's, uh, um, that's the difference you're looking for there. He's saying that's the cue to forgive because I have, let's say I'm hurt, I have a relationship with God to maintain. And I'm repeating that correct? I have a relationship with God to maintain. So I'm going to forgive so that that relationship is maintained. And I, and I forgive whether I can do anything about it or not. Yep, that's exactly right. I could forgive whether I could do anything about it or not. Because in what happens in, that, uh, in Matthew is Jesus says, well, it requires you to forgive before you even lead them to repentance. That's kind of the, the reading between the lines that's happening there. You've, because if I haven't forgiven you, how can I love you? Because the, the, way, that, the way that I love you is by forgiveness. This is what this parable is looking at, is the forgiveness is for you. We think it's, we think it's like all for that other person, but as those who have been forgiven, it, it is for me. It is for me. The only one that is under no obligation to, to forgive but chooses to in his own love is God himself. He chooses to. He chooses to extend that love to you. What Peter is drawing here is Peter saying, how much do I have to forgive them? And, and Jesus is saying, you're looking at it wrong. You think for your first obligation is to them, but your first obligation is to God. First obligation is to God. You think that the primary objective is your relationship with them. No, the primary objective is your relationship with God. And he's saying your relationship with God is actually affected in this midst, whether you choose to forgive or, or not forgive. Let's continue. Look at Luke 6, 27, 28. But to you who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. And doesn't, doesn't someone who has wronged you or hurt you treat you like an enemy? And this is part of the shock we feel when someone has wronged us. Because we say, I thought they were a friend, but they were treating me like an enemy. But Jesus says, in that moment then, you go and you love that person. They who are acting like your enemy, you go and love that person. You go and forgive them. You bless them and you pray for them. You do not return evil for evil, but you respond in love. Because this is what God is opening our eyes up to. The enemy sees an opportunity for destruction where Jesus sees restoration in life when sin or wrong gets into the mix. And we can often think unforgiveness is like a protective armor, thinking it'll keep us safe, thinking that it is going to do the healing, that I'll find the closure and healing and peace 
in this unforgiveness. This just further justifies our own forgiveness as a faux necessity. This isn't to say the pain you feel isn't real. It is. It's to say that the healing, the closure, the peace, and the protection that you're actually looking for are found in forgiveness. This is what Jesus is calling us to. He said, I want you to be made whole. Come to forgiveness. To not forgive is to not fully embrace the loving forgiveness graced upon you by the person of Jesus Christ. To not forgive is to not fully embrace the freedom found in Christ. The forgiven servant is named evil by the king, unrighteous by the king, because this man is still in darkness. He embraced unforgiveness and then embraces darkness. He did not fully embrace his own forgiveness. He did not fully understand his own forgiveness. So we're called to repentance and forgiveness. I'm going to ask the worship team to get up. You guys can jump on up. I'm just going to continue. We're all called to repentance and forgiveness because on the other side of each lay healing, restoration, and life. Healing, restoration, and life. And I want you to do this. If the Lord's challenging you and you're having a hard time forgiving... Or say there's a messy situation and you're not sure what forgiveness actually looks like in that. Meet with a brother or sister. Meet someone who can disciple you in, the, in this moment. Meet with somebody who, who can speak truth into those situations because they have the Holy Spirit inside of them. I don't know the circumstances that are going on in this room. But I do know that we're called to forgive. And we're called to repent. And we're called to love. There's two last things here. Your repentance and forgiveness are first between you and God. Because that's the primary relationship. It's first between you and God. So as we worship here, what I, what I, my hope, and, I, and I'll do this same thing, is ask the Lord, Lord, are you, are you bringing someone to mind that I should forgive? Is there a conversation that I need to have with someone that's discipling me about these, about what forgiveness and repentance looks like. Lord, open up my eyes to these things. Because I've wronged someone, but I first need to deal with God. Because I stand guilty before Him. This is how the world knows us as Jesus' disciples. Because he is the only one that has forgiven like this before. He is the only one that has said, I erase all of your debt and I expect no repayment because I know you can't repayment, but I don't expect a repayment. He's the only one that has done that. So as we forgive like him, as we display his love, the world is pointed to him. They will know you as his disciples, as you loved, as he loved. And this is the call on us this morning, to love as he loved. Even in the midst of wrong, it's the greatest opportunity to love. To love like him. Let's worship this morning one last time together. Father, we thank you 
We thank you first that you have forgiven us. Lord, help us this morning, just, just even if it's just a drop more, to further understand the forgiveness that we have received. And Lord, lead us to loving each other by forgiveness in the same way that you have with us. Let the world know that we are your disciples by our love for one another. Lead us, Father, continually lead us, Father, to love like you have loved. We thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Let us worship you well this morning.